Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Now, don't take out a calculator, just a guess here. If you had to guess how many weeks are in an average life, quick, quick number, anybody, how many weeks in an average life? 30,000. Good guess. Anybody else? What? Don't? No calculators. Stop it. No, stop it. 3,500? 4,000? 4,000. Okay, that's not bad. So uh, an average 80-year-old life is is over 4,000. I think it's 4,160. So I guess the average life of whatever, maybe that's 78 or 79, is uh, is 4,000 weeks. 4,000 weeks. Now, how often have you said at the end of a week, where did the week go? Right? How, How many weeks, how many times have you ended a week and you said, where did the week go? It's saying it now. Like, you're like, where, where did it go? Exactly. Like, it's like this week just completely flew by. Now, if you say that 3,000 times in your life, <laughs> your life goes by like this, right? Um, and we had a ministry team leader meeting a week and a half ago, and we just one of the things we did as the start is we, we encouraged people to write a hashtag for their last year, 2022. And one person's hashtag was, where did it go? That was their hashtag. Where did it go? Uh, There's something we realize about time that is important, right? It's not something we can accumulate. We can't add like these blocks on the stage. We can't build time. We can't save up for it. We can't hold on to it. Time just keeps moving. And this week, is, it's over. We can't go back to last Monday. We can only go to tomorrow, which is Monday. And time is also a little bit mysterious, right? Like how often have you said, like, what time is it? Or is it time yet? Or you've got perfect timing? Or it's about time, right? You showed up, or last time, this time, next time. You've probably used that phrase. Or you've maybe said this. This happens all the time. This happens all the time. Or if you're looking back to a season in your life, especially if you're a little older, you might look back and say, the times were so different back then. This is starting to sound like a Jerry Seinfeld a little bit. Uh, But... Whatever way you use time, whatever way you think about time, there's something important to understand. Time is a gift. Time is a gift. We love it, and we wish we had more of it. Isn't that true? We love it, we want it, and we wish we had more of it. We started a series two weeks ago before, last week we had a guest speaker, we had a great time with Ken. If you missed it, listen to the podcast, it was a great, uh, great message on the posture of worship. But a week before that, we started a series called The Gifts for Discernment. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is explore various gifts at our disposal, All of us have these gifts at our disposal to help us practice discernment. And time is one of those gifts. Time is one of those gifts. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, turn to it. And um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you're looking in your Bible, it's right after Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. It's kind of in that little bit of the Old Testament. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, I want, let's read it together. It's, it's a unique uh, portion of Scripture. It's part of wisdom literature. It doesn't read like Paul's letters. It doesn't read like Genesis. It doesn't read like historical books like Kings. And even though Psalms and Proverbs are also wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes has a little bit more of a philosophical feel to it um, 
when the writer writes it and, 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 and expounds on these things. So here's chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read uh, about 15 verses here. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. Now, if you're following, whether on your, your Bibles or on the screen, what I'd love to do is I'll read the first little, of every line, I'll read the first part, and you read after the comma. You guys ready? So I'll read the first part. So example, a time to be born, and you guys say, I gave you the really negative one. But okay, so, so, okay so, so here we go. I'll read the first one, you read the second one, okay? A time to be born, a time to plant, a time to kill, you got the positive one that time. There we go. A time to break down. A time to weep. A time to mourn. A time to throw away stones. A time to embrace. A time to seek. A time to keep. A time to tear. A time to keep silence. A time to love, a time for war. If you're old enough, you probably have that song in your head. Around the Vietnam War, they were singing that song, and they quoted all of this. They, they, they gave it a moral uh, point when they said, turn, 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 no more war. But they literally quoted these verses back then. Um, this next section, I'll just read it because there's no back and forth. So listen to this or follow along. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already is. And God seeks out what has gone by. Let's just pause to pray. Lord, as we lean into this text and listen for it, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us, guide us, help us to understand the beauty, purpose, and gift of time that you've given us and what it means for our discernment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, a shout out to Julie, who's here this morning. She hasn't been here for what, since the middle of December when she hurt her leg. So she's here this morning. Julie, it's great that you're here. We're praying for you. We're glad that you were able to join us. Yeah, you can clap for her. Yes. It's good. Um, okay, so we read, we, the verses we read, verses 1 to 8, they're often quoted. It was even in a song, and you've probably, even if you're not familiar with the scriptures, uh, you, you would have kind of caught wind of that, that, those phrases that have been used often. And what's, the thing is, when we, see, when we read the Bible often, it's too easy to use phrases like this to prescribe what life should be about, right? Because we assume that every page on the Bible, every line, every verse is something we should do or be or called to, right? But 
we know, uh, and, and I think we've talked about this several times, even as we unpack scriptures together, not all scripture is prescriptive. Often scripture is descriptive, just describe something. And that's kind of what's going on here. These aren't moral statements in the first eight verses. Uh, it's not, it's not, you know, and, and we understand this because sometimes the positive is first, sometimes the, the negative is first. Um, some things you're like, yeah, this is great about life. And some things you're like, I don't want that. That's not a good part about life. And so we can't see these as moral statements. I mean, does God prescribe hate? Would God say, yeah, there's a time to hate? Dave, go and hate. We wouldn't, we wouldn't read that off the page, but we, so we got to be careful about that. It's better to see these verses as descriptions about what life can be about. When you look at the span of a life, often it's filled with these things. We've experienced them. Whether, we've, whether we planned for it, uh, whether it was God's specific desire for you, whether it was a result of a good choice or a bad choice, often we have experienced these things. So these are more like matter-of-fact statements than moral facts. Then the next section gives us this perspective on these life experiences and on the lives that we live. And so verse 10, we, you know, the writer here helps us see that God has given us, some versions say, toil or work or life or tasks. The version we read is the word business. God has given us a business, you know, not, a, not necessarily a literal business, but a business, a purpose, and that it's God-given. So we, you and I have purpose from day to day in the vocations that make up our life. Maybe it's part of your career. Maybe it's part of the vocation of being a parent in your singleness, in your marriage, uh, in being part of your neighborhood. There's a purpose that God has given us. He longs for us to live with purpose. Verse 11, it, and then it reminds us that God has made everything suitable for its timing. We can't go back and say, you know, I want to take that out of my past. I want to take that out of my history. I want to take that out of my experiences. It happened. And God can use those things uh, for our good, for our growth, for our formation, even for his purposes. God has made everything suitable for its time or for its fitting, which helps us know that while God doesn't meticulously say, go do and make this mistake, you know, we, we want to be careful that everything that we, I do is not God's desire. I will do things that sometimes are against God's desire. Right? And i got to be careful to say that everything that I do in my life is, is God's will. Now, but when we, so we, when we talk about sovereignty, we can understand that God is sovereign over all things. He knows all things. He understands all things. He can orchestrate even out of a mistake, even out of something that I did against his desires or vision, and he can use it to grow me, to challenge me, to transform me, and even maybe for the good of others. So there's a sovereignty of God over life, being able to give our lives purpose. Verse 11, the second half says, God has put the sense of past and future in their hearts or minds. I bet you you've heard this verse from the NIV, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. And that's often a great phrase that people will use to say, look, God has placed a desire for you for eternity. And look, Jesus, when we come to Jesus and come to put our faith and trust in Jesus, oh, that desire for eternity is fulfilled. The, this version we read shows that the Hebrew can mean many of those things, past and future. Uh, one Old Testament commentator uses the word permanence. The NIV uses the word eternity. And I think what's important here is that as we read that, then the author says, even though God has placed it in our hearts, 
We can't fathom all that God has done. We can't fathom all that God, um, all that's on God's mind and heart. We can't fathom, even though we long for past, future, eternity, permanence, we can't fathom all of it, but we can trust God for all of it. We can place our lives at his disposal. We can serve him and trust him. And yet, even though we can't fathom it, isn't it interesting, the longing to understand it's in your mind and in your heart? God has placed a desire for us, in us, or we have a sense of past and future. And even though we can't fathom it all, we long to understand it. And I think it's a longing that you and I have that we can't get around. Every person we lock eyes with, everyone in this room longs for that. And in a sense, we long for the big picture. We long to understand the big picture of things. It seems to be a human desire and a human longing. And then as we move to verse 12 and 13, uh, you know, at first it sounds selfish, right? I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Who, who wouldn't want that, right? Uh, moreover, it's God's gift. Now, that, now, now the author brings God's gift into this. It is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil or their busyness or their work. You know what? In other words, there's something about life that we've been given where not in a selfish way, but we're called to embrace it and live into it and live it. And that can sound selfish, but on the flip side, it can be fulfilled with purpose. True enjoyment comes by living in pur on purpose, not just living for yourself, living on purpose. In fact, Golden, John Goldenday, who's an Old Testament scholar, he translates from the Hebrew, not being happy, but I love, he translated to do what is good in your lifetime, that there's purpose when we do what is good in our lifetime. And that's, whenever you read wisdom literature, wisdom literature in the scriptures is always calling us to a life of goodness, a life that is good for you and the world around you. So being happy can sound very selfish, but when you understand the heart of it, doing what is good in their lifetime now you and me, the collection of our weeks, our three or 4,000 weeks of life, whatever that means, less or more, we are called to do what is good in our lifetime. And that leads us to the topic we're in, discernment. How do we discern what is good? How do we discern then how to live today? How do we discern to use our one week or a multiple of weeks or the fullness of weeks in our life? And that leads us to this one big question. Well, what do I do now? Like if we've been given the gift of time, God's put eternity, past and present, permanence in our hearts. We long for it. We can't fathom all of it, but we somehow long for it. This question still remains, well, what do I do now? How do I do this now? And that's a discernment question. That's a question you and I have every single day. What do I do now? What do I do this week? What do I do this season? And it's not only a discernment question, it's a spiritual question. And it's a spirit-prompted question. Because God longs to lead us and guide us. And towards the end of the series, we're going to talk specifically about the gift of the Holy Spirit for this purpose. But today, I want us to just pause and, and, and think about this one gift, the gift of time. You and I have this gift, this God-given gift of time, our time and the time that's even beyond us, to lean into that, to use that as a resource for discernment. Because when you and I understand time, when we embrace time, we grow in discernment. When we ignore time, 
we lack discernment. And here's a few ways to consider this. And the first way I want us to think about this is even beyond us. And it's, it's to acknowledge history. And, and I, don't, I don't just mean the history books you read in high school. But I mean like all of history. Your history, our history, um, our nation's history, um, people groups history, world history, Christian history. When you think about this, to truly understand time, we must understand that time has gone, come before us, Right? Like, we li- we're here today, 2023. And sure, you, some of you might, you know, depending the age you're at, you might think I'm old or you might think I'm young, right? But I've only got like 49 years on me. The world is way older than me. Society is way older than me, right? We must understand that time has come before us and time goes on after us. Time isn't static. It's a continuum. It never stops. So you and I exist today, but we're just a moment, right? If this whole stage was my life, well, this is today. But if this whole stage represents history, I'm just in one moment in history. And this is so helpful when we want to discern things because the world has way more history than your experiences from grade 9 and 10. The world has way more history than what you experienced in your 20s. The world has way more history than, uh, than the things that you've seen and heard and understood. And I believe there's an obstacle to discernment when we ignore history. When, when you and I ignore the history of our families, when you and I ignore the history of our neighborhoods, when we ignore the history of our city, our country, our world, that becomes an obstacle to our discerning in the moment today. If, if we're interacting with a people group in our world and we ignore their history, we're not going to discern well. If you're in a company or in an industry and you ignore the history of that company, the history of that industry, you're going to lack discernment. I was in Thailand several years ago and I had the privilege of being with a group from North America, a few pastors from the States and Canada, and there was one from Japan and one from the Philippines. And we were spending a whole week in Northern Thailand with a group of of Christians from Laos. And Laos was just on the other side of the Mekong River. They came over and they came there specifically because Laos was very restricted uh, to practice their faith freely. And we spent time with them there. And we had sessions, learning sessions, um, conversation as best as we could. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. But our facilitator, there was one moment we had this session, and our facilitator just paused and felt prompted to allow for space for the pastor from the Philippines and the pastor from Japan to work out some history. I was clueless because I wasn't aware of the historical facts of these two countries. Back in 1941, Japan attacked the Philippines, and this wound was very much a part of the, of, of, for those that come from the Philippines. And this wound was, was in both their relationships, one of sorrow from the Japanese and one of pain from the Philippines. And at that moment, the facilitator called us to come around them to pray to, to pray for their, both their nations, uh, to pray for them. And we literally prayed, pointing our hands to where those nations were, kind of like in the trajectory of where we were, and then on them. And I remember the Japanese pastor just weeping, weeping in that moment with the sorrow of his country's past actions. And I remember the pastor from the Philippines also weeping, but in a moment of kind of God just bringing healing to him, because from, from those 
all that history and all those wounds. And it was beautiful. It was necessary. It was freeing. But I understood in that moment, none of that would have happened without an acknowledgement of history. None of that would have happened if we were living just in our moment without thinking about the moments prior to us. So here's my question to you and me. What ignorant, what history are you ignorant of that's stopping you from discerning today? What history are you ignorant of that weakens your discernment? Whenever I sit with, with uh, couples who are planning to get married, uh, we often start our sessions with the theme of expectations. And they're like, what do you mean? What do I have to expect? Isn't it all going to be great? I'm like, well, let's chat about it. <laughs> and so, so we, I often, we often ask, like, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about your family. Tell me about what it was like to live in your home. Tell me about some positive things you saw from your mom and your dad. And are you going to expect that on your spouse? Tell me about some negative things you saw from your mom, and your mom or your dad. How did your dad treat your mom? How did they treat each other? How did they treat you? And we're, we're looking for these family patterns in their history. Is there a history also of addiction, divorce, betrayal, debt? And this isn't to like bring up the past and just dwell in it and say, you know, I just want to find out some information on you guys. No, it's, it's to teach us. It's to warn us. It's to prepare us. It's to help us discern in the moment, how should I live now without being ignorant of the past? That's so vital. When we realize that we are products of our past, individually, corporately, nationally, even religiously, then we can welcome history, time, as a tool for discernment. And we all individually have history. Your families have history. Our city has a history. This church now has a history. We've, you know, kind of done things, and it's kind of like part of our DNA and who we have, who we are. And see, we don't have to be tied to the past, but we must recognize that the past plays a part in who we are today and in our present. There's an author, his name is J.K.A. Smith, wonderful author. Actually, our young adults are, are going to be walking through one of his books in February. But he's written a recent book called How to Inhabit Time. And he, he said this statement that jumped out at me. He said, too many Christians are ahistorical. A, you know, like when you're apolitical or... Right, it's just kind of it, it, it neutralizes the word you're talking about. A historical, meaning they completely, uh, uh, not all Christians, but he was saying that too many Christians tend to be ahistorical. They ignore their personal history. Like when someone becomes a Christian, sometimes it's like, hey man, I'm a brand new person. And read first, you know, first Corinthians, like I'm a new creature in Christ. That is so true. I'm looking forward to heaven. There was an old song I used to sing as a kid. One of the hymns says, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And it's a, that's a good theme. That's a true statement. But what can tend to happen is sometimes Christians become a Christian. They follow Jesus and someone says, you're brand new. And they think that none of their past has anything to do with their future, and it's true. It doesn't have to tie you down, but you must understand it, right? You must understand it. This is so, so vital. I think um, we, I've quoted Pete Scazzaro on this, right? Like, Jesus might live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. <laughs> and if you don't acknowledge that past, sometimes you won't even allow Jesus to get into those parts of your life that need transformation. So we need the past and time and understanding of it to discern. Uh, this, actually, Smith in his book 
shares this illustration about the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and you know, he talked, you know, we, when this came up a couple of years ago, and I know that there's different opinions about the, everything that goes on in the Black Lives Matter movement. I understand that any movement has good and bad in it. But it was interesting. People would say, well, all lives matter. And if, if it's, isn't that true? That's a universally true statement. All lives matter. That's even biblical. All lives do matter. But without a good sense of history and what happened to certain people over a few centuries, saying all lives matter could ignore history. You, you and I can do this on a personal level. My son has a horrible day. And he comes to me that day and he just needs my attention. But I promised my daughter that I would take her to the mall. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Julia, I really got to be with Andrew right now. And Julia gives me a universal principle. Dad, don't all children matter? <laughs> I'm like, yes, Julia, all children matter. But because of what happened today, can we just say Andrew matters <laughs> for a moment? And, and that's, that's kind of the idea here. We don't ignore universal principles and then just adopt another one, but we apply universal principles in the moment because we understand time and history. That's part of what that looks like. So knowing the history of a day or a century or a nation helps us discern better in the moment. And as Christians, one of the things that often we can kind of be in our blind spot is we forget that the church has history. That we're not the end all of the church over history. You know, I mean, how many Christians and, and movements have felt like we are the most important group of Christians to live on the face of the earth? And we just forget what has happened for the last 2,000 years. This is a real major problem for many in the church and it's a major problem when we read our Bible in a bubble or in just our culture or in just our century or in just our experiences. We forget that, that the Bible we hold in our hands, and we've talked to this in the past, this has come to us historically. When someone says, I don't want to have any other influence in how I read the Bible, just give me the Bible, let me go in my basement, let me read it by myself, and I'm going to figure it all out. And then they kind of tell me, what they think and what they believe. And then I just checked their YouTube uh, algorithms and I realized somebody's teaching them anyways. But that's a different story altogether. However, the thing is, is that the Bible we hold has a history, has a past. We're holding it today. We're lucky. This is amazing. I can buy three of these right now on Amazon if I want. Like, we're really, really lucky. But that's not how the Bible came together. James Smith says this, every person who carries a Bible in their hands, a collection of books between two covers, is an heir to the discernment of the Christian councils from the 4th century, from 1,600 years ago. One of the reasons we hold all the collection of these books inside these two covers is because 1,600 years ago, 1,700 years ago, after the church discerned for the first 300 to 400 years, and Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel and others were being read and, the, and at least 25 of the 27 New Testament books were often in circulation and people in the second century were using Matthew's gospel as a discipleship model and a, a discipleship curriculum and, and others were, you know, kept looking at Paul's letters and they, 
we think, oh, man, this is, this, this, this is just mine. But it's not just yours. It's not just mine. It's not just West Side's. It's so important we understand that even we and our Bible has a history. And even more so when I pick up something and I read, you know, something from Paul's letters or something from the, the, the book of Revelation where we read last year, right? And those churches in Revelation that we read about, if I just pick it up and read it in my culture, in my context, in my moment, with my understanding, and I forget and I neglect to understand that, no, 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 John was writing to this church in this area that was struggling with this and this and this. And this is why he writes this to them. All of a sudden, time helps me discern. But if I ignore it, I ignore discernment. It's all, it's all to say that history matters. But for a moment, I want to skip to the future. Because time isn't just the past, right? Time is the future. And we look, we anticipate the future. We look towards the future. And believe it or not, the future helps you and I make decisions. When we, if we ignore the sense of a future coming, if we only live for today or only look at the past and not think that a future is coming, then we also make discernment mistakes. Who we want to become and what we hope for our families and what we long for our church to prioritize, that's all future. That's all tomorrow. I want to see this happen tomorrow. I want to become this tomorrow. I want our church to see this, to become this in this next season. And so our, an eye towards the future shapes my discernment in the moment. And if I neglect the future, if I, if I pretend that it's not coming, then I will lack the, the right discernment in the moment. This is one of the reasons why I think parents put their kids in sports. There's good and bad reasons for it, and I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but I believe that, in general, parents put their kids in sports because they will learn healthy competition and physical discipline. So in the future, they can learn to do hard things. So in the future, they can get up and get ready for something on time, right? So in the future, they know that, you know what, uh, this, like, this looks a little bit like life, like me on the soccer field or, or me on the baseball mound or whatever, right? And so I, th I think that's partly why, you know, parents put their kids into sports. Now, there's positive and negative things we can say about sports, and you got to discern how many sports, how often, whatever. Is it going to kill your life? Is it going to help your life? Is it going to, like, overwhelm your kids? I don't know. That's up to you. You guys can figure that out. That's not what this message is about. But the idea for sports or anything else related like that is this. We do things today in light of tomorrow. We restrict, as an example, I got a presentation coming up in, in a week. I restrict how much TV I watch today or tonight because I got a presentation in a week. If you got a 5 or 10K run that you signed up for in two months, all of a sudden you're like, I better run today. Because, man, in two months, I'm gonna be, it's going to be horrible. So you run today because the, the, you know, the race is coming up in two months. You have, have a friendship that you, you want to maintain. You want to you keep it going, but there's a conflict. And you're like, you're, you, you have a future goal for that relationship. So you say, I'm going to call that person that I have a conflict with today. I'm going to talk to them. We're going to work this out because tomorrow is important. We do this in our relationship with the Lord. Right now, today, you might not be desperate for God's wisdom because just today, everything's kind of normal, but tomorrow you might be. So every day, we pay attention to God's voice. Every day, we get more acquainted with God's voice. Every day, we spend time listening to his voice in the scriptures, as we pray, 
as we're silent before him, because tomorrow, because one day, we're going to need his wisdom and his direction more than we think so. And so today, we do something in light of tomorrow. And as Christians, this, this is our theology. We're looking towards new creation. When we read the vision of God's kingdom in Isaiah and in, in the end of Revelation, and we see God's ultimate future, that is not only about then. It's giving us a glimpse of, of when we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, today as you will fulfill in the future. And so this is so important. When we read about the generosity and the justice and the hospitality and the peace in these texts of new creation, what does it do for us? It helps me discern how to live today. It gives me a vision of where God wants me to be, and I can start making decisions today to start becoming that person through the help of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? That's so, so true. But sometimes we neglect both past and future. This has happened for so many people with interest rates right now, right? Like there was a video going around. I think uh, Justin Trudeau was asked a question like, why are you guys, and, and this is not against Justin Trudeau, don't worry. But he was just asked a question like, man, and the government, like every government around the world, borrowed so much money and, you know, asked a question like, yeah, but, but what happens when, like, you have to pay those debts? You know, and, and the response was like, have you seen how low interest rates are today? That was three years ago, right? And so, but the past and the future would tell us that maybe we should make a different decision today, right? There's one guy I met, man, I wish we had mortgages like they do in the States when things were so low. He signed a 30-year mortgage for 2%. Because he's like, I know what they were 10 years ago. I know what they're going to become in 10 years. I got an opportunity. We can't do that in Canada, by the way. You can't sign a 30-year mortgage for the, but the, so it's like, that's good. <laughs> that's good, right? But when we neglect the past and we don't think about the future, we don't discern properly in the present. And it leads us to the present as we just kind of wrap this up. We must be aware, not just like aware of our history, looking towards the future. We must be aware of our present we all got 4,000 weeks to live, more or less. And I get it, some a lot less, some a lot more. But we've all got these weeks to live. So that makes you and me temporal beings. Yes, we, as Christians, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Yes, as Christians, we look forward to the future with resurrection. But this time in between the cross and new creation, we are temporal beings. We have a lifespan. That's, we are temporal. Psalms 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Being aware of the present, being aware of our temporality, being aware of, aware of our mortality helps us gain a wise heart. We're temporal beings. We can, I can only live. If my life is this stage, I can still only live this. If history is this stage, then my life is only this, and I can, I'm going to live this. I got these weeks to live. And that's important for me. That, that should drive me to wisdom. That should drive me to learn how to discern. That should drive me to grow in that way. And this helps us pay attention to our moment. 
It helps us pay attention to our moment when we're aware that we are, we're not living in the past, we're not living in the future, we're aware of those two, two spheres, but today I'm living, today I'm leading, today I'm parenting, today I'm with my neighbors, today I'm with you, today I'm making these decisions. So the past and future, they influence today. I can't go back, I can't go forward, I can only live today. I can just allow those two things to really broaden the gift of time that I, I lean into as I discern. Augustine said this, I think fourth century. He said, I confess to you, Lord, that I still do, that I still do not know, I think that's what, sorry, that I still do not know what time it is. And I further confess to you, Lord, that I know myself to be conditioned by time. So here's this confession. Lord, I still don't know what time it is. That was a, that's a, problem on the screen. I made that mistake. I still don't know what time it is. And further, I confess to you that I know myself to be conditioned by time. He was becoming very aware, very aware that he didn't fully comprehend the time that he was even living in. He says, Lord, I acknowledge this. I acknowledge that I'm not fully aware of the time I'm living, and I acknowledge that I've also been conditioned by time. So his heart is, help me to grow. James Smith says it this way, I won't know who I am until I know when I am. Just think about that for a second. I won't know who I am until I know when I am. So if we ignore the idea of time, past and future, so we can understand the moment we live in today, we will struggle to know who we are unless we know where we are, when we are. And I think that leads to Paul's wonderful line in Ephesians 5. We're going to end with this line. He says, be careful then how you live. And you can only live today, right? Now. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the, what does it say? Time. Making the most of the time. So time is like multiple things. Right? But this time is now. This time is now. There's the question. What do I do now? How do I do that now? And in light of how the past has shaped you and how the past has shaped the world around you, in light of what we hope for the future and God's vision for new creation, in light of what we hope for the future for ourselves, for our church, for the world around us, then when we, can, when we see that as a gift, time is a gift, the ability to understand time is a gift at our disposal. And God longs to also use that as he reveals to us how to live in the moment. Time is God's gift to you. Don't ignore it. Don't abuse it. Don't live as though it doesn't matter. Don't live as though you have an, uh, you know, uh, an infinite uh, weeks ahead of you. But instead, let's become students of time. Let's become students of our time, of what's come before us, of what God longs for us in the future. And then here's the beautiful thing. Let's trust that God is sovereign over it. God is sovereign over it. He has made everything fitting for its time, including whatever week you are in your life. And you're in your 1500 week, your week 1722 Maybe Carter is, I don't know, what, whatever, 20 times 52, that's 1,000 and something. So I don't know. 
Are you on week 3,785? 3, 3, right? God is sovereign over that. He's made everything fitting for its time. But let's see time as a gift. Regardless of what week we're in, we have opportunity today to live today in light of the past and in light of the future. Let's pray. Father, you, um, you hold time in your hand. That's something we, we don't have authority over control over. You are omnipresent. You have existed and pre-existed. You will be, you have been, you will always be. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the fullness of all things. It just fathoms us that the New Testament writer said that in the fullness of time, you sent your son. Somehow that moment in time, preceded by what you were already doing in hopes of what new creation will be one day. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus in that moment. We wouldn't have the wisdom to know how to make that happen, but you did. And so we do trust you fully. But God, somehow you've also just given us as human beings, your image bearers, this desire to see the big picture, to know where we fit. God, may we become students of where we've come from, who we've come from, the places and locations and cultures and nation that we live in, Lord. Not to put them on pedestals, but to understand and gain wisdom to live today. God, we don't want to make the mistake of, of a choice today because we ignored what came before us. And God, we don't want to only make a choice for today without knowing where you're leading us tomorrow. You long for us to become people of your kingdom, people of the way of Jesus. So God, may our decisions today, may our discernment today lean into the wonderful gift of time at our disposal. And of all people, your people, your people, whom you have promised a future, Lord, may we be ones who are intentional and passionate about this gift of time. And help us, Lord, give us the discernment we need in these days. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.